Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, it's March, and in the northern climes, we're eagerly awaiting the start of spring, warmer weather, the return of green grass, green leaves, and flowers, and for many of us, the end of cabin fever, wintertime doldrums, and return of the promise of spring. And this time of year, I'll bet a lot of you uh, dust off and update your bucket list, those ambitious goals for the remaining months of this year. And it sounds like a promising idea if that bucket list actually inspires you to take action to accomplish those goals, and you don't have the same old bucket list every year with nothing accomplished. But here's a switch. My next guest, Hall of Fame speaker and critically acclaimed author, Jane Jenkins Herlong urges you to replace your bucket list with a trash it list. (laughs) She's here to suggest why the best first step to accomplishing positive, often incredible life changes is to throw out the trash. And Jane cites her own life experience. And to quote, quote from her promotion, I learned how to throw away negative talk and train my brain to be positive in order to tackle insurmountable odds and she's here to help us do the same. And once you learn of her accomplishments, I'm certainly you'll agree that that's precisely what Jane Herlong has accomplished. And here's her bio. After growing up dirt poor on a farm in rural South Carolina, Jane went on to become Miss South Carolina in the Miss America pageant. And she's a vocal recording artist and award-winning professional singer who has performed all over the world, including Radio City Music Hall in New York City. I'm sure you've heard of that venue. (laughs) And she's a global award-winning speaker who recently was inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame. And she's author of numerous critically acclaimed books, including her latest, the one we'll talk about today, Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops, Choosing Extravagant Joy in the Midst of Everyday (laughs) Mess-Ups. (laughs) <laughs> I've had a few of those, that's for sure. I'm sure we all have. Hello, Jane Herlong, and it's, uh, we're most uh, honored to have you here with us today on Middle Age oh, can be your well, best age. <laughs> well, that's great. I appreciate it, Roy. I'm looking forward to sharing with y'all, and um, we are... Um, We've got a little cabin fever in the south, too. We've had some strange weather, so we can identify with that. (laughs) Before we get down to serious business, in a video from your website, you reveal that although you didn't become Miss America, you took away from the pageant far more valuable, (laughs) far more valuable prize. Please tell us what that prize was. Well, it was the doggone to thing. I was uh, Miss South Carolina. I had just competed Miss America, and I had just uh, previously been introduced at a function by a very handsome young man. And uh, as fate would have it, after um, we, after a couple of appearances, I was asked to speak at a banquet, and he was my escort. 
And I was in a relationship, and um, he was too. And I was kind of joking around with my business manager. She said, Thomas Herlong wants you to sit by him. And I said, oh, really? Who's his little country bumpkin girlfriend? (laughs) She said, Miss America, the girl that beat you. And I just, (laughs) to be honest, Roy, I thought to myself, you know, I don't lose twice now. (laughs) Once is enough. So... (laughs) We hit it off, I'm telling you, and uh, I really think it's because we were both prayed up and ready for the each uh, the, the the partner to meet each other, so to speak. And yeah. and all of a sudden, we just it was just like we just knew. And lo and behold, it was a week later. I mean, a week. I didn't oh. even date him during the week, and yeah. he asked me to marry him. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so I tell everybody, I didn't win Miss America, but I did um, marry her boyfriend. Yeah, and that ring. Uh, lasted a lot longer than the, the crown probably did for the. Yeah. <laughs> that is the truth. It's been a 38 year um, crowning moment for me to get a, a great husband, well, which I'm great. very thankful for. Well, as Miss Car- South Carolina, you were a poised, charming, and beautiful young lady, and yet you describe yourself in youth as a homely, bullied farm girl. <laughs> and I know girls and boys too in their early teens go through an awkward stage, but I can't imagine you as ever being homely. Can you pinpoint any specific instances from your childhood? Maybe well, everybody first... Well, everybody thought I was a boy. I no. dressed like a boy. I acted like a boy. I wanted to be a boy. And I'm glad I'm not all caught up in this gender thing that's going on this day and age. <laughs> well, <I laughs> that, would, that would be interesting. <laughs> certainly, I can tell from your photo from Miss America days that you didn't look like a boy then. When... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I renovated myself pretty good, but I just remember um, people teasing me so badly because I was such a tomboy, yeah. and then, you know, first grade, lost the front teeth and looked like a little vampire, yeah. and um, wanted to get picked for the beauty pageant, which was a joke, literally, got laughed at by the high school girls, but oh. just kept persevering. Yeah, children can be cruel to other children, that's for darn sure, even teenagers. But, well, obviously, you were able to trash your negative thinking to become a tremendously well-adjusted and successful woman, now a mentor to others. Can you pinpoint one specific incident or point in time that launched you on your journey to a brighter tomorrow? What was your initial step in silencing that uh, inner critic that uh, all that trash that had been uh, piling up in the, inside your mind? Well, you know, I, I remember I was... Um trying so hard to do my very best academically and I just just it was a, a struggle yeah. and I remember one teacher just she kept telling me you know I see in you that you can become everything you I feel like you want to become mm. and that you know just to, and, and surround yourself with with people that encourage you and uh, I remember, too, my mother encouraged me as well. And so with that combination, if someone sees that seed, that if it's, you know, I come from a farm now, Roy, so I'm going to do the germinating and the planting and the sprouting. But that all of a sudden I started to see what other people were telling me, and I, I, I trusted them. So I think you need to surround yourself with uh, Zig Ziglar, who was one of my favorites, always said, be a good finder. Find good in people. That's so true, because if you surround yourself with negative people, you always tend to sink to their level. And the, But if you surround yourself with people that are positive and uh, 
present a positive image and believe in you, then you start to believe in yourself. It makes so much sense to me. With that. It does. And I think, you know, I, I have a speech I call Don't Throw Tomatoes at My Field of Dreams. And it's <laughs> well, Iowa is the place from the original Field of Dreams, the movie. So that's not, right. Don't throw any tomatoes in there. And for y'all, it'd be don't throw corn at my field of dreams. <laughs> that's true. Besides, that <laughs> corn dries out for the hogs, and it's pretty hard to get hit by those. <laughs> <laughs> but I talk about you got to find your shine, and yeah. I, like I'd shine the tomatoes, and then you have to call or get rid of what's not good, and they're. There are things in your life, there are people in your life, and then yeah. know when to plow up and know when to plow through. So I really I really live by that. Of course, I say it with humor. Well, all of us are aware of the negativity in today's world. Our parents, teachers, and close friends telling us, no, uh, you're not good enough or you're not capable of that. And on your website, you reveal that you've heard, oh, no, you can a number of times. But what's the motto that you have adopted to, as a guide to your life? I love that. Uh, I say you turn your look at no and think next. Oh, that's great. How do you do that? Just if somebody says no, you just you want to prove them wrong, or how how does that work? Well, I say one of the greatest principles in life I found on a bumper sticker, and it said, "What if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about?" <laughs> and I think that's true because I think if you put your right foot in, which is doing the right thing, yeah. and then you shake it off. So when these things come at you, shake them off and turn it around and see another angle and just try it because you never know unless you try. But, you know, sadly, Roy, there are a lot of people that they don't want you to achieve because if they haven't achieved what you have, it creates a problem. They're happy oh, for so you true. until you, you... Your best friend may no longer be your friend. It's not the friend you should have had in the first place, but... If they're jealous that you achieve something that they're trying to achieve or can't achieve and try to pull you back, that's the last thing you don't need. Right. I mean, and, and that person is not willing to do what you did to get to where you got, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, so that's true, too. <laughs> I think so. You talk about the hokey pokey. We once had a University of Iowa football coach, Hayden Fry, who always used to have his players do the hokey pokey after they won a football game. <laughs> so I guess he would agree with you. Well, you, as you point out on your website, successful people move from survive to thrive when they uncover what you call a mindset to achieve. Any suggestions on steps we can take or areas we should work on in order to, as you put it, master your runway Yes, I think that you have to seek out people that you want to achieve. You know, maybe not what they've achieved, but you, you hang around with successful people. They're creative thinkers. Yeah, and you and, don't have to compare yourself to them and think you have to accomplish everything they've accomplished with them. That's always been something that I've done in my life, Roy. Is I, I'll find, like, just like the world of pageants. I would see a contestant that I thought was incredible, and I wouldn't be jealous and talk about her. I'd sit down and talk to her. Yeah, I wanted to get so to know her. I, I mean, what is it that makes you stand out? Yeah, and then I stu so you study ideal. successful people. You do. You study yeah. successful people. Yeah, well, that's great. And, uh, also, I think you, you um, mentioned on the, your website that uh, – you need to be assertive, and uh, you can't just sit back and expect everything to happen for you. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you can only blame yourself. I mean, you control that that part of your destiny. 
I mean, I want to, I'm a, I like to stay busy and I like to stay relevant and active. And so I do things to keep me in, like in the world of speaking today. I'm making phone calls. I'm sending out postcards. I'm working on my website. I mean, that keeps me going. You know, yeah. I, you know, the Bible says without vision, we perish. That's so true. You got to have, you got to have something, a goal in front of you. And another thing that so few people are willing to do is accept personal accountability. Everyone always wants to make an excuse why they they can't accomplish what somebody else accomplished or, you know, run somebody else down or make a, a person it's somebody else's fault because I didn't get this or do that. But that, that oh, so true. We're eat, Yeah, we're eating up with that one. All it does is keep you in the mud pit. You know, yeah, you just keep yeah. you just you're just you just stay on that wheel of misfortune, and you, yeah, and then yeah, get the you anywhere with the other hogs, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, on your website, you remind us that humor can be quite handy in diffusing embarrassing situations, managing difficult people, and controlling our own emotions. Uh, how do we condition ourselves to laugh at the uncontrollable? That's always been hard for me. But uh. well, I, I, the way I think God wired me is I just see funny stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'll have my friends; they'll hang out with me, and they'll say, "Okay, how'd you see that?" <laughs> and I just like this morning, I have a newsletter I send out, and uh, I wrote about my mama's possum jacket. She oh. loved that possum jacket, but she didn't know it was possum. No. So she <laughs> I wrote. It was mink. <laughs> well, she did until she read it was a New Zealand possum, and then she decided that it was educated, and that's how she called it an educated. She made peace with the possum, yeah, and I just wrote about things that that possum best reminds me of. And one thing was it was funny. I mean, my mama loved to laugh. Yeah. That's and then great. that you know she accepted things and made peace with things and. And then she saw things from different angles. I said, you know, just like she'd flip that vest, she could see things from different angles. So I think you kind of need to read something funny, listen to something inspiring. I mean, pick up an old Reader's Digest and and, and find one of those funny laugh-out-loud moments, you know. (laughs) Read something. Go online. Google funny things. And it really does loosen up your brain. Well, I noticed in a section on your website uh, called Jane's Story, you include a wonderful statement regarding the true value and purpose of awards and accolades that you have received. Can you please tell us what that value is? Because I think you have so much wisdom in that statement. That uh... Well, I just feel like I think people that have achieved success, they don't sit there and read their own and believe their own press. I think it's a way of serving other people because when I'm the joy I get, and of course I have to make a living at what I do, whether it's yeah. writing, speaking, singing, but I just love when people come up to me and just say, you know, tell me what is it about you that you can share with me to help me with this situation or that situation. And I think the more uh, achievement you have in your life, the more the the a humble servant. To me, is the answer to that. Be a yeah. humble servant and give back and help yeah, other people. I love how, uh, what you say is awards and accolades don't mean anything unless you can use them to help others, and that, that meant so much to me because it's so true that uh, nobody sits around and slaps themselves on the back for the rest of their lives. And, well, I'll and tell you one out. thing: <laughs> the minute you start slapping yourself, you you might as well slap yourself in the face because you're done. <laughs> Well, let's talk a bit about your latest book, Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops. 
That's the most intriguing title. What <laughs> message is it intended to deliver? <laughs> well, I think we all have moments that we can define as maturity or moments that we can have as a an opportunity to turn around a flip-flop. Yeah. And when you have things happen, you don't flop. You flip it around and try to figure out a way to be better. And I, I, what I did was I used iconic women of the Bible, the ones that we sort of study maybe in Bible school coming up as children. And I talk about deceived Eve or the woman who doesn't think she has enough and she steps outside of her, the plan that is so good for her and her family and her husband and her faithfulness. And she thinks going out after work might be the fun thing to do. And then she gets deceived and she makes some stupid mistake. And she realizes she already had everything. And she didn't realize she had it until she lost it. Yeah, I love the, the ch- chapter titles. Fabulous, Esther, Salty, Lot, uh, Salty <laughs> Mrs. Lot, and Mary, did you know, and Domestic Diva Martha. I, I got a <laughs> kick out of that. And uh, actually, they, uh, what was your intent, including these stories of biblical women who lived thousands of years ago? Are they relevant to the day, their stories? Or, uh, oh, completely. I think that book has a chapter for every woman in every stage of life. You've got the young mother starting out. You've got the, the now I'm taking uh, the domestic diva Martha is the southern woman who works so hard to make everything perfect. She's miserable during the event. And and that's synonymous around here, and I'm one of them. And then um, fabulous and fearless Esther was the woman. And there comes a time. There comes a time, Roy, where you got to step up and say, all right, I got to do the right thing and be brave. Yeah. And that's what Esther did. Women, there's a pivotal time when all of us have to step up to the plate and take hits for doing the right thing, regardless of how we feel. And I, I love that chapter on Esther. And then the little middle-aged Naomi, the little whiny Naomi. My name is Bitter. I'm pitiful. And we all get there, too. And yet God used her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So that was kind of cool. And then the mother of Jesus, too. So to me, every single woman in that book has a flip-flop and a sparkle and shine moment. But bless Mrs. Lott's heart. She had brimstone. She didn't get any rhinestones. (laughs) No, that was a a fascinating book. Your book seems to be written for and all about you women. Should men, we men read it also? Uh, will it shape our lives the same way that it shapes those of our wives and girlfriends, or, or should we just leave it to the give it as a gift to them? <laughs> right, you understand the women, and boy, you know that's an endless topic. I know there was one man critic in the in the Amazon section that uh, said he got a lot out of the book, so I guess we men should read it. I know I, I enjoyed <laughs> the preview thoroughly, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you never know. You might go, oh, that's why my wife's like that. I get you. <laughs> well, this has been the best, best book I've ever read. <laughs> where's the best place for our listeners to go, male or female, to preview and purchase your book, Rhinestones, on my flip-flops? Well, there, there's always the website, which has other books that I've written and some comedy. I'm on Sirius XM, and, and that's been a fun thing. And yeah. you could go to janeherlong.com, H-E-R-L-O-N-G. Yeah. And the book is also available in most bookstores. And then there's the proverbial Amazon, who seems to be dominating our lives. It dominates mine. <laughs> and 
Jeff Bezos is the richest guy in the world. <laughs> Although he's going to have to split half of that with his soon-to-be-divorced wife. Oh, it sounds like it, doesn't it? No more selfies for him. He'll be poor <laughs> with only half a trillion dollars or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'll, that'll just be a small dent in the pocketbook, apparently. Yeah. Well, how about you, uh, in conclusion? Are you bogged down, listeners, with uh, middle age, uh, spending all your time concentrating on past failures and lack of accomplishment <laughs> in your life thus far? Are you mired deep in a comfort zone that really isn't that comfortable and is anything but joyful or awe-inspiring? Well, if so, I recommend that you take Jane Herlong's advice and throw out the trash in your life. And here's a great way to start. I, I love this quote from Jane in her Rhinestones book. I learned a great lesson years ago. What others think of you is none of your business, so do not make it your business. <laughs> and if you can venture forward to remove all the trash clogging your mind and emotions and uh, silence your inner critic, stop worrying about what everyone else is going to say or think about you and, and find that true inner person with God's help. Uh, what that wonderful person that you were created to be, and you'll find that it's a blessing both to you and to everyone around you when you have that positive attitude that uh, Jane talks about. And I highly recommend you begin by visiting Jane's website, janeherlong.com, and previewing and purchasing her latest book, Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops, and you'll have a fun time reading it. As one Amazon reviewer puts it, Jane's book is profound, moving, and laugh-out-loud hilarious. And it sounds like <laughs> our kind of book, doesn't it? And yeah, we me. all. I need. we need more laughter every day. The older I get, the more I find something else to laugh at. <laughs> well, thanks a million, Jane Jenkins Herlog, for joining us here today, and best of success in all that you do. Well, blessings to you, too. Thank you so much, and I hope you all warm up. Bye-bye for now. I'm certain that most of you out there are parents, and many of you still have offspring living at home. And if you have, uh, if your kids have reached the age when they start to develop reasoning and start to test boundaries, think they're smarter than you are a lot of the time. Are you tired of them not listening to you? Worse yet, are you sick of the arguing, whining, begging, and even demanding? And to paraphrase a line from an old George Strait country song, you know you still love your kids, but do you really like them anymore? And yes, it's possible to like your preteens and teenagers, despite their often rebellious ways. And that's the message of my next guest, Sarah Sherman, longtime single mom and parenting expert. But here's a new twist. She also suggests that at times we parents need to treat our kids, especially teenagers, like employees. And she reminds us as uh, us parents that guess what? At home, you're still the boss. And she's here to tell us why it's okay to uh, bring home some of our workplace routine, especially in the area of discipline. And she's also here to introduce you to her seven P's of positive parenting. And here are just a few of Sarah Sherman's accomplishments. She's an esteemed speaker, author, blogger, coach, and creator of the Create Cooperative Kids program. She's been a single mom for 25 years. While parenting, she studied for and completed both her bachelor's and master's degrees, and she rose through government ranks, making high-level decisions, then moved on to the corporate world, where she wound up in a corner office. And along the way, she was Girl Scout leader for nine years, 
Boy Scout mom for 13, room parent for 13, soccer mom for 15, and several other moms along the way. Not to mention she's been active in her church, as she says, it since forever. And she's author of a brand new book published just last October, along with an accompanying workbook, both titled The Single Mom's Guide to Getting a Degree. And But hey, Sarah's parenting message isn't just for you single moms. Single dads, married couples, and exes who are co-parenting will want to listen in also. And hello, Sarah Sherman. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hi, Roy. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Well, let's begin with your surprising suggestion that we treat our kids like employees. Certainly, we don't love our co-workers and folks that report to us as much as we love our kids. Also, we can't fire our children. Why in the world do we want to treat them like our employees? <laughs> well, those are all good and valid points. And when I say to treat your kids like employees, what I really mean is view yourself as a very good boss. I We've see. all had... We've all had bosses that were great, and we've had bosses that are not so great. And when we think about the impact of a not-so-great boss and how that makes us feel, so they're probably not very great because they're not consistent. They don't acknowledge our work. They don't provide good instructions. You know, one time we were supposed to give them a report one way, and then the next time we do that, and they want it a different way. So we never feel like we get our footing. When that happens, we end up feeling, you know, like, why bother? You know, we're never going to be successful. We don't know what we're doing. The boss doesn't know what they're doing. And and then that leads to a whole host of behaviors. So you have some people who get really disparaged. Maybe they leave. Maybe they, you know, uh, gossip amongst themselves and they do lots of other things other than work. We've seen all of that. Everyone's had that experience. Been there and done that. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And because it's such a universal experience, I find that it's very easy for my clients to relate to. And the kicker is, if we aren't good parents, if we don't do that boss role well, our children end up feeling exactly the same way. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, please fill us in. What are a, a few effective management strategies and practices Uh, that we can take from our workplace and we might be able to employ successfully at home. What are some of the similarities of being a boss, in other words, at home? Yeah, so I I always say, you know, my tagline is priorities and plans for a kick-ass life. So just like your boss needs to do some strategic planning, like, you know, really, where are we going? Where Where is all this work headed? You actually need to do that as a parent very proactively. We kind of, you know, keep going through life, and we think we're raising our kids well because they're getting taller and, and they're going to the next grade. But if we really sat down and said, you know, where are we guiding our kids so many times we haven't given thought to to really defining that. And if we don't define it, we can never reach it. So the yeah, we really need to have a goal of what we're shooting at before we just uh, blindly go about each day trying to parent unless we know where we're headed. What would be an overall objective for what you'd, uh, what your parenting role should be? Do you have something you would define as? Sure, what the absolutely. ideal role would be? 
So we want our kids to be independent when they're grown-up adults, right? We want them to be good citizens. We want them to have good relationships. We want them to know how to interact well. We want them to be smart so that they can go get a good job, be that through college or trade or, you know, another format. So really that's our end goal. You know, we want them to be prepared. We want to make them, they want to feel confident in that transition into adulthood and go forward and do well. And from a very selfish standpoint, like eventually you want them to take care of you maybe. (laughs) You certainly want them to be well prepared for that. Yeah. Well, presume you're not suggesting we treat our four- to six-year-old preschoolers and kindergartners like adult employees. At what age should you begin assigning employee-like goals and responsibilities to your kids. How soon should you start with that? Well, I actually do believe you start very, very young with that. Now, you tailor that to what, you know, to the child's age, and you do that all throughout. But the parts about being consistent and knowing what you want to accomplish, you know, if you haven't taught your your child how to share from the beginning, if you if you haven't taught them how to ask for things appropriately and deal with frustration, and uh, when you tell them no, if you kind of let them rule the roost with no real structure, and you try to start that when they're ten or thirteen, oh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a huge hard fight. Yeah. yeah. So you do need to make it age appropriate, but you need to be consistent. You need to have that end goal in mind from the very beginning. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, if you could, would you like uh, please identify and brief, uh, briefly highlight each of the seven P's that you've developed? They all start with a letter P, and they make a lot of sense. And maybe you could run through those quickly for us. Sure, I'd be happy to. So first up is predictability, and that goes with that being consistent. When your boss is not predictable, you don't know what's going on, it creates a lot of frustration for you, and the same thing happens for your kids. So as you figured out what you want to accomplish, you need to keep your behavior as predictable as possible so that they know what to expect from you. Yeah, that's for sure. The second P is to provide constructive feedback, and and I I have a formula for that. And, you know, lots of times we have the – as adults, we kind of call it a backhanded compliment, but we do it with our kids all the time and we don't think about it. So you say, you know, yes, you did a really good job of doing the dishes, but – you know, you left wet dish towels all over the place. Yeah, and when I was going to ask you the word that we should avoid, and, and you've just given it away. It's but. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Tell us it's to but. replace it with a, what word did you say to replace the but with? I, I suggest either dropping it completely or replacing yeah. it with and. Yeah. So you did a great job with washing the dishes, and next time make sure that you put the wet dish towels where they go. Yeah, cause because if you say but, it sort of negates everything you've yeah. set up to then, and it sort of pulls the rub out from under you feeling good about yourself. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. And, of course, that's not typically a parent's intention, but just that little word makes such a difference. Yeah. And then always add just a few words of encouragement. So yeah. the example I have in my document is like saying, you know, thank you, Susie, for folding the clothes. You did a great job matching all the socks. Next time when you fold the towels, please match up all the edges. You're doing so well with this task, and I'm really proud of you. I see. Well, let's move on to number three, praise. Uh, what's, what's that? How does that uh, get into that list? Yeah, so praise is like acknowledgement. And we know in the workforce that pay is actually the third reason people stay in their jobs. Hmm. Acknowledgement and appreciation uh, are in the one and two spots. 
And it's, again, the same way with your kids. You know, you need to acknowledge what they do. Sometimes we're so relieved that they've taken care of the jobs that they're supposed to take care of and their homework's done and their grades are going well that we forget to tell them out loud how important it is. So they're hungry for your attention. They want to please you, and it's really important that you pay attention and look for those opportunities to praise them. And when they're being a booger, that can be a really big challenge, but it's important that you still look for those opportunities to catch them doing something good. Now, uh, your kids are not probably working as a job or anything like that, at least for you. Uh, What about the next one, possible reward? What do you mean by possible rather than uh, always getting a reward? Absolutely. So so always getting a reward is kind of like getting a participation trophy for showing up in life, you know. <laughs> and that that's something that's really criticized very frequently and and we know, you know, that makes perfect sense. We all understand why that's the case. And if you always give your child a reward like, you know, you did this task, here's a cookie, you did this task, let's go to the store and get a toy, you know, you're really kind of negating that uh, internal reason that keeps them motivated to keep going. So it's yeah. important that you kind of mix it up. Oh, I see. And you say intermittent reinforcement is the most powerful form there is, which makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Intermittent reinforcement, the best example of that is gambling. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it, people keep coming back for the chance to yeah. get that reward. Yeah. And so that's the same kind of situation that you want to create. So it's possible reward is the fourth B. Then what's five? Five is patterns. And by patterns, I mean that you set up structure in your home for your kids so that, again, things are done the same way all the time. You've got a routine that they can plug into. So the more you have a morning routine, you have a when they get home from school or daycare routine, you have a bedtime routine. And again, that lends itself to it's just a physical manifestation of the predictability. And it really provides a great deal of comfort to them. They know what's expected. They know how to execute. And it's the same way over and over. And the next one, six, is an obvious practice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So once you get all of these things in place, you just have to keep working on it. And that means that, you know, sometimes we, we see families where the kids don't do what they're supposed to do and nobody corrects that, which then reinforces the, in their minds that they really don't have to do it. So you're continually practicing. We all know that, you know, everybody gets off track every now and again, and it's easy to kind of start down a whole new path, which is away from the goals that you said you wanted to achieve with your kids. So you have to pay attention and, and help them continue to practice so that they master those skills that you're teaching. The seven, seven pace is something that I hadn't even thought about, but it's extremely important, doesn't it, to get that uh, pace in line, make sure that you're not giving kids too much to do in too little time or whatever. Absolutely. You know, I'm I'm a fast thinker, so it's easy for me to say, you guys need to do this, 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 and this. And my kids now, you know, will communicate back to me, thank goodness. Hey, you know, that's too many things at once. Can you Can you break it down for me so that I can be successful? So if they're if the pace isn't fast enough, they're bored and idle hands are a devil's workshop. And if it's too fast, they can't keep up, they're not going to be successful and they're just going to feel frustrated. Yeah. Well, you offer visitors to your website a free printable download of the seven Ps. How can our listeners obtain this download? Simply go to my website, which is www.singlemomsasksarah.com. Pop in your email so I know where to send it and you'll get it in a matter of moments. Well, that's pretty simple. (laughs) (laughs) It absolutely is. 
Well, uh, in terms of how it should be implemented, do you try to implement, should I try to implement all seven P's of effective parenting at once, or is that too tough? Is it better to spread it out, or how do you how do you introduce that to your kids? I think that's a great question. Uh, no one's asked me that question before. I always say if you even implement one of them, you'll see a big change in your kids by bedtime that night. Uh, and I would, you know, you you know your family well, so maybe you need to introduce things slowly and kind of see how it goes, both for your kids' benefit and so that you can get the hang of them. And maybe you can do a couple at a time. Maybe you want to stretch it out, do one a week, do one a week and keep introducing. You know, it's kind of an experiment. So they will work as you implement them, implement them as works best for you. I'd like one final question regarding teen parenting, which is something so many of us either currently are going through or may soon go through or <laughs> exactly. graduated from. But uh, we all know that our teen can be loud, demanding, and argumentative, and they often sound and look like adults, but they're not really adults. They're still children. And the, uh, you reveal uh, that for years you and your teenage son struggled through intense arguments, but you came up with a simple step that, discourage, uh, that uh, discovered and then helped you stay calmer and gentler when talking to your son. What is that uh, step that you took, which really sounds imaginative. I think it's a great idea. Thank you. It came, actually, I can't take credit. It came after lots and lots of prayer. And I just happened upon a photo of my son when he was young and sweet. And it was a photo that shouldn't be, it should not have been where I found it. So I'm certain it was all divine intervention and I'm enormously grateful. But it was just a photo of when he looked so precious and I picked it up and I thought, you know, I just wish he he was like that again. And then it just hit me that that is who he is on the inside yeah. and that I needed to nurture him instead of, you know, sometimes we get afraid and we, we want to be strict and stern. And, and it's okay to be stern and consistent, but it's the delivery of that message. And so I started speaking to that little two-year-old inside that big giant body and it made all the difference in the world. He was more receptive. He felt love. He felt like he could trust me better and he didn't feel he had to defend himself against me. It made a massive difference. Well, tell us a bit about your new book, The Single Mom's Guide to Getting a Degree, How to Hit the Books, Raise Your Kids, and Keep Your Sanity. <laughs> Why should a single mom up to her neck in alligators Trying to raise the kids, consider adding to their burden by studying for a degree. <laughs> well, that's a great question. That's actually the first chapter. Why bother? So it's because you're the only one who has, you know, it's your income. You know, so you have to get the most out of your, you know, time away in employment, and you've got to squeeze out as many dollars as you can. So uh, University of Buffalo studies showed that while most single moms have some college education and even a full degree, 80% don't have the education they need to advance in their wow. careers. So they're stuck, and you really have got to grow that income to the best of your ability. And oftentimes, either finishing a degree or getting the next one makes a massive difference. It made a massive difference for yeah, me. And you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. I think that's the most crucial part of your message. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We used to think that when, you know, a woman became pregnant, she had to drop out of school or when she was a single mom, you know, she couldn't possibly go to school. And and that's not the case. There's so many flexible programs and I talk about all of them in my book, how to decide which program meets your needs. And it really is a buyer's market, so to speak. Especially now with all these internet programs like Arizona State and a number of large universities offer these and the along with special smaller colleges. So there's really tons of options. There are tons of options. And more and more community colleges are, uh, they're always, they've always been economical, but in some cases they're free. So, for example, if you go to the two-year college in um, in Texas, it is free if you go on oh. to get your four-year degree. So you can really take advantage of a lot of opportunities to build your knowledge and confidence and your bank account. Well, where should our listeners go to preview and purchase your books? The book is on Amazon, so you can Google uh, my name, Sarah Sherman, or Single Moms Ask Sarah, um, or the the title of the book, The Single Mom's Guide to Getting a Degree, or you can just go to my website, and I have a link directly to the book from my website. Oh, that's great. Well, you offer visitors the opportunity to join your worldwide Single Moms Ask Sarah community. What benefits does this community offer, and how does a listener join? So you can join me on Facebook. There are over 18,000 single moms from around the globe who follow me there. I have a a special private group that's a little more um, inclusive that's – it's called the Single Mom Pride, and there's a link to that from the Facebook page, and there are about 1,800, 2,000 women there from around the world as well. And the benefits of that is you have an opportunity to interact with other women who are going through the same experiences you are. It's very common for single moms to feel alone, and you don't often have time to go to a support group, but you can click into you know, Facebook for a few minutes and connect with other women and see the challenges that they're experiencing. And I post a lot of information, a lot of tips, a lot of training, a lot of uh, articles that are of benefit, and I ask questions. I'm sorry, I answer questions. I also have a new podcast called Kick-Ass Single Momming, and I answer questions there as well that are sent to me ahead of time. Wow, we sure cover a lot of ground in a limited amount of time. And I'm certain you'll agree that my guest, Sarah Sherman, is effectively fulfilling her stated mission of empowering you single moms to create your kick-ass life, rule your world, and achieve your goals, while at the same time accomplishing a parent's single most important function, preparing your kids for a happy and fulfilling adulthood as you transform your family into productive and effective goal-oriented team. And as I'm certain you realize by now, her sage advice is beneficial not just to single moms, but to every one of us, moms and dads, who still have one or more children at home. And as Sarah pointed out early in the program, you and your spouse, if you have one, are like the small business owner or CEO of your family unit, and you need to practice and perfect many of the same skills required of an effective boss on the job. And that includes establishing consistent patterns and ground rules for self and family and then motivating your kids to live up to their full potential. And there's one additional non-work-related ingredient you'll need to mix in, 
and that's demonstration of unconditional love for each one of your kids, no matter how trying on their patience they may be. And thanks to me and Sarah Sherman, and best of success on your book and in, that all, and in all you do. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to, to chat with you today. And thank all of you out there for listening. Tune in to our next program when my guests will present three steps to overcome anxiety. Uh, goodbye for now from Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 